and feel his presence. Amen. Wouldn't want to be here if I didn't feel it, but I'm glad that I do. It just reaffirms I'm in the right place, feeling the right thing. Amen. Serving the right God. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just go ahead and give the Lord a hand clap of praise this morning. I want to jump into the Word of God this morning. Turn to Luke chapter 21. We'll be looking at verse 17 through 19. A very familiar passage of Scripture. Amen. Luke 21 and verse 17 says, And he shall be, and ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. And there shall be not a hair of your heads perish, and your patience possess ye your souls. Amen. Can we lay our Bibles down and ask God to minister to us this morning? Heavenly Father, we need you, Jesus. More than anything, we need you, Master, to touch us each and every one. Speak to our hearts. Speak to my heart, God. Change me. Mold me, God. Help me today, God. We need your anointing. We need your touch this morning, God. Minister to us, God. Allow us, God, to be changed by your word once again, Master. We love you, Jesus. We thank you, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. You may be seated. I want to preach to us this morning on the topic of empowered by the name. Empowered by the name. There are many churches and religions in this world, and you can find a group anywhere on any street corner that will allow you to live the way you want to live. All you got to do is go in there, shake a hand, fill out a card, make a donation, and you get a free pass on the things that you want to do. If you want people that believe in worshiping the moon, you'll find the church. If you want to uh, find a church that lights candles and worships idols, you'll find them in every city across this great nation and around the world. If you want to find people that want to go to church and not have any clothes on, they're there. It happens. And saints of God, I don't want to go to church with any of y'all at that same congregation. Uh, we'll just stick with the house we have here. But they're there. You read about them in the news, and then they get the headlines, and it's all about the shock and all of being a part of a congregation. And, and what's the next extreme that we can have? And the news outlets, and they pick up on it. Well, this church believes in this, and you can't do that. But they're all over the place. But Paul wrote about in the book of Romans, I wrote, wrote about a specific church. And it's talked about it's the one true God, his church. And we read about it in Romans chapter 1 and verse 21 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the un uncorruptible God into an image made to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanliness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We read about this in scripture. You can walk in church doors all across this nation this morning and find the very same thing. It's all about the man, not the creator. 
It's all about what they can do for you and have some breakout session and make you feel better as a person instead of worshiping the creator. It's all about what you can offer them as an individual. What can we get for the best investment of my time and my offerings? But instead, it should be focused on God, the creator. We find this in scripture in the refusal to glorify the creator in perfect knowledge. And came the invention of foolish ideas of what God was like and led to the worship of idols and false doctrines. And we find that the men became more interested in themselves. And Paul talks about they traded the truth about God for a lie. And this led to idolatry and sexual perversion and homosexuality to go down the list of things that came out of an idea of I'll worship man and not God. It's a dangerous path to go down. What church do I want to be a part of? The church that I want to get together and worship is the one that God and the man Jesus Christ walked on this earth and says, my church. That's the church that I want to be a part of. The church that that God says, listen, I'll pour up my spirit in that church. And he calls it my church. In Matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, he says, and I say also unto thee, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If I'm going to find refuge for my soul, if I'm going to take my family to a church, I want it to be one that God says it's his church. If it's going to be one that I have to drag my soul in, bleeding and, and wounded and weak and don't have the strength to lift my hands up, it better be the house of God that he says, this is my church. If I'm going to drag a sinner in off the street and tell him this is the answer, it better say God's church on the door, not anybody else's. Otherwise, the scripture is null and void. But he says, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If we tell the world we're going to have God's church, we have to present God's church. We can't be like the people in the scripture and say we're going to worship the man and the pastor is a figurehead and thank God for the ministry. They have to be in place. It's God's plan. But it's not who we worship. We worship God. It's the pastor that has the scriptures and he preaches his precious truth to us. But it's God speaking through him. His words of love. His words reach him down where we're at this morning and every service and every day we get up in the morning. God knows where we're at. He said, my church. So our goal as we look in this congregation is to not build our own kingdom. Not to build our own Olathe church, but God's church in Olathe. What my, a group of people might be established here that Jesus would rightfully call his church. We have the approval. We have the signet impression of God's blood in our lives and in this building and in our worship, in our word, where he says you walk in the back doors and you sit on a pew. It's my church. One that we get together and we open up with a word of prayer and God's attention is focused down on this assembly. He says, that's my church. The one where we get up in the morning, we come in as we do on a Sunday morning and churches everywhere else are dead and dry. God looks down and says, that's my church. I'm going to let them just feel me just for a second. Let my wing just brush over them, send down some angels to entertain them, let my blood just flow through that place one more time, allow me to meet some sinners at the altar, let me stir their heart at the pew. That's the benefits of going to God's church. We all strive. I could care less about the theology of men, the approval of the media, the approval of books that have been written by men. I want my church that I'm a part of to line up with the apostles 
and light up with the scriptures because they're the ones that Jesus talked about, says, my church. He spoke directly to them and they obeyed. And that became a part of God saying, that's my church. We don't care about the other denominations and the other religions and the things that they can say we'll let you get by with. Or if you go to this church, you can be a part of. But I want God to say, this is my church. We're all striving for that. We must consider one thing because it's obvious that some churches don't always want the approval of God. They want the approval of men. They say, come visit and see what we have done. Look at the edifice, the church, the building, the campus that we have done and our pastor has put together and don't give the glory to God, the one who gave them the resources. Or It's all about them and you read through scriptures and you find where men have built things and God always knocked it down. Nothing that God has ever built has ever been torn down by man. Nothing. That's a very high success rate. And I'll go out on a limb and tell you it's not going to change ever, anytime. It's not going to change tomorrow. We're a part of something that is nothing but success, nothing but victory, nothing but overcoming everything that comes in your path. How does that make me as a saint of God feel? That makes me feel like I can step up in any devil's face and say, get thee behind me, Satan. Because I know I have someone backing me. I know I have someone on my shoulder saying, God, hey, I need you to take care of this. I need you to take care of this situation. I want to step into this valley, this decision that I have to make, and to know that God can take care of each and everything that I put before him. There should be a distinct difference in us if we are truly the church of Jesus Christ than any other denomination. We find that if we were to have ourselves compared and this church stand up side by side uh, against any other church in this city or anywhere else nearby, we'd find there's some differences. And, and it's, it's almost a natural thing for us to compare. It's our way of life, it seems, that um, when you want to purchase something, you want to go through and find all your choices and compare and find out what's best for you. Uh, you normally don't go in and, and buy the first house you walk through. Go through and compare. You don't buy the first vehicle you test drive. You go through and do a comparison and read the reviews. But it's something that's so, we get nitpicked as apostolics. We get nitpicked because we have differences. And I'm going to go through some of those this morning. As we're talking about, we would see that prayer. Prayer as an apostolic church is something that we do. It's a part of us. It's our DNA. But we don't know, does that make us so much different than everybody else? Because we find Muslims pray, Jewish pray. Muslims pray five times a day. They could care less where they're at. They could care less who's around them. But they have made up their mind they're going to pray. They pray probably more than some apostolics. They're probably more faithful at prayer than some apostolics. They're probably more consistent and they're probably more of just like clockwork because to them it's just the law. We shouldn't be ashamed as apostolics to pray over our food. It don't matter what restaurant you're sitting in. I don't care how many waiters are around that table. How many people saying, what can I do for you? What can I get you? God gave it to you. You better thank him for it. We shouldn't be ashamed when we bow our head and we call on our Heavenly Father 
And we ask him, God, thank you for taking care of this. Thank you for giving me another day or to starting out our day with prayer. We should not be ashamed because we find people that pray towards a Mecca. They pray towards the Middle Eastern city. We should not be ashamed to look towards the heavenly skies and, and pray to the creator of the universe. They can pray towards a building. They can pray towards a spot here on earth. But I'm so glad I can lift my eyes into the heavens and talk to the creator that made everything, that makes everything work like clockwork and nothing steps out of bounds unless he says it is to. And, and everything that happens is because God ordains it. What power we as apostolics have. We need to have fervent prayer. The scripture talks about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We're not all righteous. We're all trying to achieve a place in God. But God honors the prayer of the sincere heart. He honors the prayer of someone who goes to him, knows who they need to talk to. God honors those prayers. Some would say there's a difference is that we fast. Saints of God, we have fast days. Some would say, well, we don't find too many people that fast. Most fasting you hear of is a medical fast, and you're never good when you hear a doctor say, well, we've got to do some tests, and you need to fast for the next 24 hours. And you're never saying, just what I wanted to hear from you, doctor. I didn't eat anything before I came because I was anticipating you saying that. None of us step up there and say, Doctor, if you could just tell me to fast, I, I would really appreciate it. Don't give me any prescriptions. Don't do no tests. I just want to fast. We find through people's lives, some of the natural people, you can see that in dietitians, that after the third day, your body starts to do a natural thing of purging out impurities during a fast. And people will pay to go sit in a facility, pack them with mud, wash them with different waters and put little hot stones on them and make them fast and they pay people do this we find that there's different buddhist and different false religions in the far east have learned the spiritual benefits of fasting but if you look at buddha himself i've never seen a skinny statue of buddha <laughs> only his people fast it don't set us apart brother brandon because we're not the only people that fast. We're not the only people that pray. Some people would say, well, maybe we believe that the imminent return of God is what separates us because our God is alive and theirs is dead. And maybe that's the only thing that separates us from every other religion. But if you look through scriptures, you'll find where Jesus said in like manner, he will return. And and he said the dead in Christ will be caught up and rise together. And as he left, so shall he return again and, and catch us away. But you read through other portions of history and you see other religions and you can go down in the plaza. I haven't seen them there in a while, but the Harry Krishnas, they go down through and they bounce and they sing and they play their little tambourines. But if you look at them, most of them only have maybe a little ponytail. Have you ever wondered what that ponytail's for? They believe that their God... Is going to come and catch them away by their ponytail. We're not the only people that believe somebody's going to come get them. We're not the only ones that believe and, and truly believe that somebody's going to come catch us away. So I would say that's not the only thing. 
Some would say maybe it's because we believe that God came to this world in the flesh. Somebody else also believed that. A nation known as the Aztecs. They worshipped a planet. They said their light-skinned God was going to come and catch them away as they worship and the stars as they line up. They're going to get to a certain day, a certain time. A light-skinned man wearing black is going to come catch us away. He's going to come visit with us. On that very same day, if you know history, the very same day, a man walked up, light-skinned, wearing black on the exact day their religion said their Savior was going to come. You know what his name was? Cortez. And he massacred their nation. We're not the only people that believe a human, me- human being walked on this earth. But we're the only ones that believe that he lives today. We separate ourselves and distinguish ourselves because Jesus himself just being in flesh and living here at one time, it's just like everybody else, but he died and he rose again and he will come back. But it's not the only thing that distinguishes us. Some would say it's because of our scriptural commandments in regard to dress and outward appearance and our modesty of dress. We teach the scriptural mandate that men and women should dress distinctly and, and we, we respect that the long hair of women and, and it's the obedience. And, and there's other people that believe in modesty also. Muslims believe in modesty. Muslims walk through malls looking at clothes and they're wearing black garb. They're wearing not too flamboyant, colorful garments. They walk through malls and they make purchases. And, and you sometimes wonder, why in the world are they out shopping? Look at what they're wearing. And, but we as saints of God, we are to live modestly. We look at ourselves and we say, oh, I'm so much different than most people. And uh, the ladies appear and stand out so much more than the men. And we get kind of the pass and and uh, the ladies get eyeballed and they say, why are they always wearing jean skirts? Or they, why are they always wearing khaki skirts? Or, and, and it's so much different than everybody else. But the Muslims also dress modestly. They don't stop there. They shun strong drink and brazen, lustful uh, behavior of themselves. And they try to conduct themselves in a manner. But, you know, our apostolic girls are not the only ones that have to get Letters written to a principal saying, hey, my daughter's not going to be participating in climbing the rope at gym, and she's not going to be doing cartwheels, and she's not going to be doing all this in front of the boys, but Muslim girls get the same note sent to their principal, says, my daughter's not going to do this because of religious reasons. You're not the only ones that live this way. The whole point of this is we're not the only ones that try to do something different, but we're the ones that have something behind it. We're the ones that have meaning behind it. In fact, we're not the only ones that come into the house of God. We make it a priority because churches all across this city were packed with people that made it a priority to come in, even in the inclement weather. We find that people are just as dedicated to the house of God as you and I are that we sit in the pews today. We find through scriptures where people mimicked the Jews, people who worship Baal, They were just as faithful in their worship. And they copied their ways. And they copied how they did it. And you see, as and I remember seeing it myself ever since September 11th. When that happened, you've seen a resurgence of people 
interested in church, interested in God. They seen that they were no longer untouchable. They were someone who needed something to reach out to. Some would say that the reason we're different is because we believe in the Holy Ghost. It's not the case. I'm not as up in years as some of the more established people in this assembly, but some of you could look back in your memory and you would see where charismatics believe in the Holy Ghost and dress just like we do, and Baptists believed in the Holy Ghost and dress just like we do, and believe it or not, they spoke in tongues just like we do, and they've no longer held to that, but we're not the only people that believe in speaking in tongues. It's got so much so that as an apostolic, when you see someone you don't know and, and they're speaking in tongues, you don't know if it's real or not. You have to feel them out. You have to know them. You have to have someone say, yeah, they're the real deal, or God gives you a check, or the Holy Ghost says, yeah, they're, they have my approval. They're the right thing. But not everybody that speaks in tongues is the same as us. Many of us would say that the fact that we believe in only one God would make us different. But the Jews believe in one God. They would say that, oh, well, that sets us where oneness, but the Jews believe in one God also. So what makes us so much different? What makes us so we stand out? What makes us so that nobody else can duplicate what we are? It's all in the full revelation of the name of Jesus that ties it all together. Because saints of God, to be honest with you right now, you have never chased a devil out of your house, out of your valley, out of anything you've went through by waving a jean skirt in front of them. You've never said, honey, go grab that jean skirt. We got to get a devil out of here. You never said, honey, get that handkerchief that you preached with last night and, and get that devil out of here. But we've all done the same thing. We've all called on the name of Jesus Christ. We've all called on that very powerful name of Jesus Christ because without the name of Jesus, everything that we do and put ourselves together and the motions we go through, we're just going through the motions. You're just putting on a jean skirt. You're just combing your hair. You're just putting it up out of reverence. You're just keeping it uncut out of obedience. It's nothing without the name of Jesus. The power of the name of Jesus empowers us to step into any situation walk up to the face of a devil and say get thee behind me Satan you have no power over me in my valley in the name of Jesus you use no other name but the name of Jesus and Jesus said on this I will build my church he didn't say he was going to build it on anything else I've prefaced before but he says, on the name of Jesus, I'm going to build it. And Simon Peter took the very same message and says, if he says that's the way it's going to be, I'm going to do it that way. I'm going to follow after him. You know why? And pastor preached about it last week. Because God gave him the keys that says this is how it's going to be. And Peter says, I'm empowered by the name of Jesus to preach this. The main difference between the true church of Jesus Christ and all the wannabes and churches that opened their doors this morning is because we have a full revelation of the man Christ Jesus and what he can do for us and what he's going to do for us and how he meets us in every valley and every trial and test. And when the families come to us and say, get out of here, you're, you're a numbskull, you're believing false doctrine, you can say in Jesus' name. And it means something. It has power. 
Luke 21 and verse 17. You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. You're not going to be hated for your outward appearance. You're not going to be hated for your prayer and fasting. You're not going to be hated for your faith and imminent return of Jesus Christ. But you're going to be hated because you believe in the name of Jesus Christ. I dare anyone to step into a mixed group of Trinitarians. And I've done this. And they asked me to pray. And I didn't do some shy, backwards, generic, watered-down prayer. But I used the name of Jesus. I didn't try to throw out some flamboyant titles and, and try, to, try to call on someone who wasn't there, but I called on the name of Jesus. And a man walked up to me afterwards. He says, you're oneness, aren't you? I said, exactly who I am. The name of Jesus is your identity. The Father, Son, the Holy Ghost is titles. And we can throw them out there, Brother Brandon, a son, a father. But you know, let me tell you what, his name is Brandon. We call on Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is Jesus. He's the one who meets us there. He's the one that makes me want to dress this way. He's the one that makes me want to lift my hands. He's the one that makes me want to fast and pray. He's the one, it's Jesus that ties it all together. He's the one that I hope and pray and believe that he comes back and captures away all the church of the living God and, and says, come up here a little higher. We got some unfinished business that you can't do here on earth. It's all in the name of Jesus. This name meets us in worship. He meets us, young ladies, in separation. He meets us in prayer. He meets us in fasting. And he meets us in our time of need. If he never failed to show up, instantly we would think something's wrong because we're accustomed to God doing something about our problems. The moment that God fails to show up, the moment that he's not there right when you said you needed him, makes me begin to check myself. What did I do? Not what did he not do. What did I do? Where have I walked? What have I thought? What have I said? It's all about reflecting back on me because he's always there. It's because of this name the devil hates all of us. The revelation of the name of Jesus. None of us have a standard that's been prayed over us. or None of us have had prayers that we always have to keep praying to keep us saved. None of us have a commission of fasting that keeps us saved. But the Bible references that when we're washed in his blood, he applies his name. That's what the devil hates. He don't care what you're wearing, you have the name. Now we believe and we earnestly believe with our whole heart, heart that modesty and holiness has its place. So don't let me diminish that. But the one thing that gets the devil mad at us is we believe in the one true God. We believe in somebody that has a name that's above every name. When Satan and Lucifer are mentioned, nothing happens. But when we say in the name of Jesus, demons tremble. All manner of sicknesses and diseases leave at that name. There comes a power in the name. Salvation is found in that very name. It's on one day every knee shall bow and every tongue confess to that name. It's not about anybody else's name at that time. When that trumpet sounds and, and the Jesus and God catches away his saints and it's not going to be saying any other names. We're not going to be going through Wikipedia looking up names of gods. 
we're all going to know what he's talking about. The world is going to know what he's talking about. We must hold this revelation because if we lose it, we become ordinary Christians. If we lose this revelation, we just become ordinary. Earlier, I was thinking about some of my notes. And words are powerful. Otherwise, people wouldn't use those to convey. Words are powerful because one of the most powerful things that a human being has is their tongue. It puts meaning behind them. That's why God asked of us to give obedience of our tongue and signifying of speaking in tongues. It's obedience to the Word of God. But people use words to try to hurt us. Saints of God, I wanted to say this this morning. Words that others call you should only hurt you if they describe you. If they have no meaning, they have no value. If people come up and they're always calling you something, and it's because of your past, God's washed all that away. It's taken the value away from it. It's all zeros. It's all zeros. It has nothing, no value. If they always walk up to you at the work and say, oh, there's Holy Joe. If you're holy, it has value. If you're not, it's going to hurt. If they're always saying things and family members are always running you down, and if it's true, it hurts. But if they're always saying, you're always going to church and you never want to go do our things, that don't hurt me. That don't hurt me. It motivates me. They're seeing a difference. If they're always wanting to run you down because of what pastor preaches and you abide by, that don't hurt me. That empowers me saying, you know what? It's making a difference. Somebody's noticing. I don't care if they notice, but somebody else may notice and say, I want a part of that. Eventually, it begins to make its mark, and words begin to dig into us, and we say, you know what? Words that they say don't define me, God's Word defines me. So, saints of God, we must remember that it's only His words that mean anything for us. We must hold on to this revelation. God is not looking for a church that uses the name of Jesus as a magical formula to be used when facing devils. It's not only our, our just our fallback, oh, oh, there's the devil, and throw oil on him. Oh, Jesus' name. Though God wants us to use his name out of reverence, out of it's our refuge. I cleave to it. It is my all in all. It's everything that I wrap up in my life. And I don't see a spook everywhere because I don't have to worry about spooks. And I can walk down the dark alleys because I know God's got my back in life. I don't have to worry about, you know, everybody jumping out at me because God said, hey, get back. Don't touch my son. We wouldn't do that in real life. And I've walked down and I travel and I try not to go to all the normal places that everybody goes because you don't always get to go back to some of these places. And I remember I was walking through in Montreal and going down one of their main streets and I turned and began down the street. I began to notice that businesses weren't open. Well, that wasn't a good sign. And uh, it's dark and it's um, cold. And so I'm walking down through the street and I noticed that not too many people around. And then I walked past empty businesses and they have a little cove where the doors are at and there's people sitting there and it smells like beer and urine and and drugs and you know that's not the right place for me to be the saints of God we walk down dirty dark dingy filthy streets in our spirit if you don't have God with your back you're in danger 
if you don't have someone that you can just walk nonchalantly through the valley of the shadow of death, the scripture says, I will fear no evil because my God is with me, my comforter, my guide. But you do that without him and see what happens because the name of Jesus provides that protection to where we can call on and say, in Jesus' name, I need you right now, God. Take care of the situation. And it has meaning and value. Matthew 28 and 19, very common scripture that we read around here. As I said before, it's probably etched in the paint back there somewhere, burned in. It says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. That commandment to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost was given right before the day of Pentecost. It was a commandment. Pastor so eloquently went, went through the scriptures last weekend that was just amazing and followed the Holy Ghost and, and spoke these very scriptures and was talking about baptizing in the name. And, and it's because the apostles followed after them. It was a commandment. It was something that he gave. It wasn't like if you would like. It wasn't, it wasn't as if Obama was reprimanding Putin and saying, you know, I don't like what you did. But Jesus says, baptize in the name. You find the apostles going and baptizing. Scripture bears it out. It gives the name value. It validates the commandment. Now, if I was to tell my children to do something and they never did it, my words have no value. But what an awesome feeling to know that not just me, not just us, but apostolics all around this earth, Africa, Mexico, Canada, Europe, Asia, are all baptizing in the name of Jesus. It gives it value. But to you specifically, it don't matter about them. We don't know them. The name matters in your life because that's what you have to cleave to. If you don't cleave to it, you're just putting on a jean skirt, you're just wearing a long sleeve, you're just combing your hair this way, you're just praying a little prayer, fasting your little day, checking the box. But when you have the name of Jesus, it's not a title, but the name of Jesus ties it all together. It's the nucleus. Everything revolves around it. It pulls everything to it. If you wrestle with holiness and you wrestle with things of Scripture and commandments in this Scripture, what is your nucleus? What's pulling you together as an individual? What's, what's the one central thing that if you never can get your mind wrapped around and your obedience to things that's preached, something's not in the center pulling everything together uniformly. Something's off to the side saying, ah, oh, you don't need that. Nah, that has no meaning. He's just a tyrant. He's just saying this. He has no scripture. My family says I don't have to do that. But when you got the name of Jesus Christ on the inside, it pulls it all together and makes it all whole. It makes it towards balance. It makes it towards mature. It's what something is referred to in the scripture called perfection. You're not perfect. You're following after a perfect God. Perfection begins to be a part of your life. Maturity. It's a maturity in your spirit. Being baptized in the titles has never saved anybody. I like to watch people sitting in the back row where my family sits, and you see people that walk in, and you don't know if they're apostolic or not. 
most of the time by appearance you can visually see that maybe they are a visitor and pretty much every service the way to get saved is referenced baptism holy ghost it's always referenced in a service and someone will speak in tongues as they're leading the service or a saint burn up the carpet around the aisle just speaking in tongues and you look at them to see how it affects them and you see and I like to watch people that are sitting and they're behind the preaching they're behind the singing but I like to see how they react when pastor says this is how you're saved and I like to see if they balk or if they say right on maybe they're just a little misguided maybe they just don't know some of the outward appearance they haven't got all the inward holiness but maybe they're so hungry they don't care they're, they're saying God give it to me you led me here you, you put my feet one in front of the other and brought me to this church I want to hear what the truth is but you see some people that then instantly someone's thrown the knife switch I thought they were the same thing I did I liked what I felt in worship I liked what he was preaching until he started talking about the name of Jesus Christ being exclusive the name's important. Isaiah 9 and 6 says, For unto us a child is born, for unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. The name of that child to be born, the Son of God, the Precious Son, Matthew 1:21, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. His name is not Son. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, which wraps up everything of the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When we see those and people refer to those and, and we see and we talk to people at work or we run into people in Bible studies and they start pulling out the names of the titles we all know they come together and they're one and it's our responsibility to say and try to get them to see it and sometimes people don't want to have nothing to do with it but there's something inside of me when I see someone um, doing something wrong I want to try to help them it's natural you want to reach out and someone falls down and you want to reach down and extend a hand and try to help them you want to hey let me help you get your feet had that happen the other day had to help help someone up give them a hand and help them up or their bag they can't quite get it over their head in the overhead carrier and a here ma'am let me help you with that saints of God we have the same responsibility someone misled misguided if they're looking for truth it's our responsibility to say you know about those titles right let's look at this a little more it's our responsibility we're the ones that God gives us the wisdom to help straighten this out. It's all about being empowered by the name of Jesus. When the enemy wants to try to bring us down, he doesn't play nice. He calls you names, brings up the past, and tries to convince you that you can't do anything. But the name of Jesus Christ gives us the strength through every valley and every situation. In closing, if we could stand as I said previously, if words describe you, then it's going to hurt. But if otherwise, they don't apply. People just say, oh, you're just a sinner just like I am. My response is, I'm afraid not. I was, but I was saved by grace. Oh, you're just filthy. 
No, I've been washed in his blood. You're, you're a failure. You can't do anything. Contrary. The Bible says I'm an overcomer. Oh, you're weak. Again, I can't agree with you. The Bible says all power in heaven and earth. It's all wrapped up in that name. Oh, you're just sick. No, I, I know a healer. No one loves you. You know, you're really stepping over the line there because no one, no one has ever loved me like Jesus can. When those things apply, it's going to hurt. When people say, oh, you're just one of those holy rollers. Yeah, that's me. About that. We had someone busted out about a week ago. That's me. Oh, you're just one of those people. It's all legalistic. I'm afraid not. Let's go sit down and look at Scripture. And people want to use words to destroy your walk with God. People want to use words to say what you're doing is just going through the motions. And I'm not Catholic. I don't light candles in honor of past family members. And I, I don't pray to a man. I pray to God. I pray to someone who listens to me. I don't have to go through a Mother Mary. I don't have to go talk to Sister Riggin and say, Sister Riggin, here's my prayer request. Would you talk to pastor and pastor talk to God? But Noah, I can drive down the road and say, Heavenly Father, I need your help right now more than anything in my life, God. I need you to display your presence visibly. Take care of this valley. Allow me to walk through it and feel your arm behind your son and, and say this is what it's supposed to be like. And not sit there grasping for weapons and trying to figure out, well, I can't do anything with that, but God says, let me give you the sword. Let me give you the shield. Let me put the breastplate. Let me put the, the, the shielding on your legs and the helmet of salvation. You go fight the battle with the word of Jesus. You go fight the word with the battle with things that mean something that has an edge that bites, it cuts not just empty words that are not empowered by just some filthy sinner trying to drag you down. Being empowered by the name of Jesus Christ. Don't be caught up in the things of this world because just because they walk in the flesh and they wear black and they walk in and they say I'm a Christian they just may be the Cortez of your life saying, you thought I was your Savior and you laid down your weapons willfully and I'm just going to walk in and slay your nation. Saints of God, we're empowered by the name. The name ties it all together. The name is the one that gives it value. Your testimony has value because of the name. Your holiness has value because of the name. Your worship has value because of the name because it's there. It lives. It's an overcomer. It allows you to step into everything in your life. And God put a stamp on it and say, that's my child. They're a part of my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Can we lift our hands and let's thank God for it today. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Master. God, I thank you for your name, God. The name that's applied to my life, baptized in your name, Master. Wash over me, God. I thank you, Jesus. We worship you this morning. We thank you, God, for the opportunity, God, to call on the name of Jesus. You're there every time I need you, God. You're there in my time of need, Master. The name of Jesus. Hallelujah. I thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.